By downloading or listening to this podcast, you are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com slash disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. Hi, welcome to another episode of Moody's Talks Muniland, a podcast about credit dynamics in U.S. public finance. I'm your host, Nick Samuels from Moody's U.S. public finance team in New York. Credit risks intensified for airports, toll roads, and ports at the outset of the pandemic, but things improved for the three transportation sectors relatively quickly as the economy recovered. But with a recession looming, their prospects have dimmed. The faltering economy threatens to curb growth in travel and cargo volumes, key factors in credit quality. As a result, we've dropped the positive outlooks on the sectors. Still, all three are well positioned to navigate a choppier economy. To discuss why, we'll talk with Ursula Casanario in New York and Moses Kotmar in San Francisco about the year ahead for airports, toll roads, and ports. We'll also ask Moses about the public power sector where the outlook remains stable. Ursula and Moses, Welcome to Muniland. Hi, Nick. Thanks for having us. Hi, Nick. Thank you. Ursula, let's start with you. Consumer demand plays an important role in one way or another in the credit quality for each of these sectors. How much people and businesses are spending matters a lot. So how will cloudy macroeconomic conditions affect that? Yes, Nick, you're correct that the major driver for the transportation outlooks on this year is our expectation of worsening economic conditions, as we now forecast a recession by the second quarter of this year. Together with that, we will suspect higher employment, declining savings, and loss of purchasing powers due to inflation. So all of that will bring down disposable income for households and therefore attract. Also, let's not forget that in the aftermath of the pandemic, the Households had additional disposable income from the federal stimulus packages, the, the checks from the federal government that we won't have uh, in 2023. So we expect that that will reduce our demand for, for travel, especially for more leisure travel. Okay, now the, the cost of airfares also are going up at the same time. You talked about disposable personal income. So if you're like me and you're trying to figure out how can I take my kids on spring break, flying maybe isn't the best option. So what about toll roads now? To some extent, will a reduction in air travel lead to more people driving? still expect that demand uh, for, for airports will be there. I mentioned before, leisure travel where, yes, it's associated with disposable income, but at the same time, we are seeing very strong uh, trends in that sense because people still want to have those experiences and, and, and still continue traveling. But in, in that sense, also traveling uh, by road could be a, a possibility as well, as you just mentioned, and with the high air force that, that we are seeing, that's a, a possibility as well. But on the, on the side of toll roads, what we are considering for our outlook is that with the rise in unemployment that we're expecting, also with different work arrangements, more towards working from home, we will see some some reduction in, in demand for, for the roads, also considering that we are expecting higher uh, rates this year as well. Okay, Moses, let's turn to you because maybe the performance of the port sector is the most linked to the global macro economy of any of these three sectors. So what's happening with ports? 
That's right. So ports are currently in a position where they've had a few years of very strong growth. So they have, have benefited from pretty, pretty significant consumer spending on goods over the last several years. And they're, they're in a position when we think about them to weather a slowdown in growth, which we have seen coming, right? So I think to your point, ports are very influenced by economic growth, by industrial production, by global trade. And um, we've seen all those indicators really decelerate over the last uh, year or two. And looking into 23, we see further deceleration ahead. So our expectation is that that is going to result in lower demand for cargo. The U.S. port market is interesting in that it is a little bit different. A lot of the ports in the U.S. handle container cargo as, as their primary business. And looking at the U.S. port market, we import about two containers for every one that we export. So it's really about two-thirds containerized imports, one one-third containerized exports. So it's driven much more by demand in the U.S. economy than global growth overall. And if you look at 2020, when COVID happened, global trade fell about 5% that year, but U.S. container cargo grew 2% that year. So it's much more affected by kind of domestic economic activity. And when we look at 23, we're looking at about you know, about half a percent of GDP growth. So pretty low that, you know, with with some other variables in there gets us to an estimate of about zero to two percent growth in container cargo. So um, pretty much in line, I, I think to your point about global growth, the World Trade Organization is looking at about one percent global trade growth. So we're zero to two on U.S. growth. So so really, really in the range there. But yeah, certain, certainly the economic slowdown is a big driver of what we expect for 23. Okay, Ursula, on Muniland before, we've talked about how important employment levels are for airports, and they've been really growing very, very strongly. What's happening with them now? Yes, uh, you're correct that they they are strong now. We expect that by the end of this this year, employments and that that means the number of passengers that are departing a, a flight from our airport, that employment levels will reach pre-pandemic levels. So that means reaching 100 percent of 2019 levels by the end of this year. That overall represents 4 percent growth in 2023 versus 2022. Okay, and what about toll roads? They can raise toll rates, and many of them even had inflation-linked increases built in. But we've seen in many states um, them rolling back on those increases to give inflation relief to drivers. Yes, that's uh, that's right, because uh, most of the toll roads that we raise formulas to adjust their tolls that are based on consumer prices price index, so basically inflation. And this is important in terms of credit quality because these uh, toll rate increases can drive revenue growth and that can counterbalance the trends that we have been mentioning before. Even if you have lower traffic, 
if the tolls are higher, that means that revenue will still grow. So with this record high inflation that we are seeing, some toll roads have taken different approaches uh, to implement these adjustments given the, the affordability concerns. So for instance, we have an example for the state of Florida who has prohibited the implementation of inflation index increases on all state-owned uh, toll roads for this fiscal year. And there is also a program that is a temporary discount program for state-owned toll roads that will be in place for six months, and this uh, discount will be reimbursed by the state. All right. For all of our sectors, rising labor costs are a credit challenge. And Moses, is this especially true of ports? Because in my mind, at least, I think of it being especially labor-intensive. That is a good question. And you are right. Ports ports is a very labor-intensive business. I think a, I think an important thing to think about is there are really two different business models in the U.S. port sector. Most ports, well, let me step back. If fundamentally a port handles cargo or cruise passengers between a ship and a a terminal and and the land side of it, that is a very labor intensive operation. Those are typically unionized workers who are hired. And those those wages are set based on contracts that are prevail over a multi-year period. And so most most employers there have a pretty good sense of how those labor costs are going to change from one year to the next. And many of the employers, when they enter into agreements to unload a container from a ship or a cruise passenger from a ship, those agreements say that we get to adjust the price from year to year based on changes in our labor costs, which we know what those are going to be because we can see the union contract out several years. So there, there's a pretty good balance in in that kind of arena. Uh, the, the other model is what a port like Los Angeles or Long Beach has, which is what we call a landlord port, where they own, but then they ultimately lease out their facilities. So they don't operate directly and so LA and Long Beach, their employees are, are really performing kind of administrative functions. They're doing financial planning and design and permitting, and they police and fire. They're, they're really more municipal employees. They're not under those same union contracts. So you have the potential for, for some labor cost pressures there. Those ports, though, landlords have very high margins. They have, you know, 50% plus margins. So there, there is headroom there to absorb some labor cost pressures. So we, Nick, to be honest, we, we really don't see that as a big driver of where we are on the outlook at the moment. Are any specific issuers or types of issuers or regions feeling more credit strain than other? Ursula, what about airports that mostly handle domestic traffic versus ones that mostly handle international traffic? Yes, what we are seeing is that for those airports that have more exposure to domestic, those are the, the strong performers. We talked before how people, even if, if airfares are expensive, people still want to travel. So for those domestic leisure destinations, they have been the, the strongest performers uh, so far. But for those more exposed to international and business travel, which is not really still coming back on the pre-pandemic levels, those are showing the, the lowest recovery so far. So, for example, in the Midwest area is where uh, you have more exposure to business travel. So those airports are showing the, the lowest recovery rates. Okay. And Moses, 
I hope to never, ever go on a cruise, but we talked about the importance of leisure travel here. So are ports that have a heavy cruise presence doing better than ones that mostly handle cargo? That is a good question. So really the the tail of the tape for most of COVID is that ports handling container cargo were were doing much better. So at, at the depth of COVID, the CDC had a no no sale order in place and you were prohibited from from even operating cruises in, in the US for a long time. And so Ports like Miami, uh, Canaveral, Broward were really affected by that. They th those are big parts of their business and that went nearly to zero, 10, 12 plus month period. While container ports were really kind of enjoying a boom for, for most of that period. The tables are are kind of turning a little bit where the container outlook is is really slowing down, but cruise has been picking back up pretty steadily, right? So Port Miami, I think, was over 4 million cruise passengers last year, up from maybe 200,000 at kind of the, the depth of COVID and, and heading higher, right? So we're seeing, I think, to your point, some of the same trends where you can see the the demand in, in terms of bookings that are in place already. Cruise, cruise lines are kind of redeploying even more capacity. And we're kind of trending back to 2019 level, probably by 23 or 24. And so I think that you're right, that's going to be a tailwind for for ports where cruise is, is a more meaningful business. They're probably going to benefit a little bit more than a really container dominant port as, as the container outlook weakens. And Ursula, for toll roads, are there ones that pre-pandemic were more heavy on commuters going to the office uh, than other types of toll roads? Yes, that, that's right. I, I think that here we are an interesting point where we can look forward to see how the trends will settle going forward. As at the beginning of the pandemic, everyone was working from home, then offices started reopening again. But we, we see that people are still staying at home two, three days a week and then going to the office the rest of, of the days of the week. So for those toll roads that are more exposed to areas where people can work from home, uh, those are the most affected. And, and uh, for our rated portfolio, those are the toll roads in the, in the Northeast. Okay, so what credit strengths in these sectors mitigate the downward trends? Because you've changed your outlooks to stable after all, not to negative. Yes, that, that's right. And something important to keep in mind of our airport, so for instance, is that while we still forecast reduced demand, we still expect our travel to reach pre-pandemic levels. So that means that we expect that by the end of the year, this year, we will reach 2019 levels. Also for toll roads, same, we are forecasting some slowing on, on the growth rates. They are still doing so from already elevated levels. But most importantly for both sectors, what we see is that they benefit from a really strong financial position. They are showing very strong debt service coverage ratios, healthy balance sheet. In fiscal year 2022, for example, we have seen record high uh, liquidity for both sectors. So that's uh, really important uh, to address any, 
any decline in demand. In the case of airports, also, they still even have a portion of funds from the federal relief grants that they have received from the federal government to weather the pandemic. And also for both uh, airports and toll roads, they will benefit this year from funding from the Federal Infrastructure Bill to finance capital projects. Okay, and Moses, what about ports? Ports are, so I would start with the the business model that we talked about, right? So the distinguishing landlord and operator ports. Most of the port sector operates as landlords. They, they have that model. And what that means is many of them get somewhere between 50 and 70% of their revenue in the form of minimum rent payments or minimum annual guarantees from tenants. So the result is that provides a very stable or a much more stable revenue stream for these ports. So as we see volatility in in underlying throughput and you know potential declines, the revenues for these landlord ports tend to hold up better than if they were really much more linked to volume, right? If their revenue was really, really more directly volume-based. So historically, when we look at the 2008, I think we saw volume fall about 15% for the sector during that period. Landlord revenue performed better than operator port revenue during that period. So that's number one. Number two, I would say really ports are in, in a very strong position currently. So the sector has grown about 20% in terms of volume versus pre-COVID over the last couple of years. Revenue has grown even more than that, in part because of congestion and other kind of non-core or or ancillary revenues that have been collected during that period. That has had the effect of really strengthening balance sheets, liquidities in a very, very strong position. Port customers are still very healthy, so ports are able to pass through price increases without encountering much friction there. So the sector is in a very healthy position currently and capable of withstanding a a slowdown in volume and maybe weakening of revenue. And then, you know, rounding that out, the business model also helps to to kind of underpin revenue as, as volume weakens. Okay, and Moses, one last real quick question. One infrastructure sector where the outlook stayed stable is public power. How come? So the key with public power is the rate raising ability. So many public power issuers have autonomous rate raising ability. They exercise it very regularly. They raise rates from one year to the next. They raise rates from one month to the next to pass through costs, energy costs, etc. Our expectation is that they're going to continue to exercise that rate raising ability. These have quasi-monopolistic positions in in most of their markets. So they're in a very good position to kind of execute that. Like other sectors too, the sector has has a kind of a very strong liquidity position currently. But, you know, I think to kind of what Ursula brought up earlier, the sector is also not immune from inflationary pressures. And we're seeing that really kind of in terms of commodity input costs, energy costs that have really fed through into more significant cost pressures than the sectors had to contend with for a number of years. So it's really going to kind of test the rate raising willingness going into 23. But ultimately, we we expect the sector to, to raise rates as, as needed. We were looking for a very modest decline in debt service coverage, very modest decline in overall liquidity. 
ultimately the sector is is well positioned to adjust revenues as as needed to sustain its financial metrics. All right. Moses and Ursula, thanks for joining us. That's all for now from Muniland. I'm Nick Samuels. Join us the second Thursday of every month. We'll talk with you then. Thanks for listening to this Moody's Talks podcast. To find out more about the topics discussed, please follow the links in the show notes. You can check out other Moody's Talks podcasts by visiting moody's.com slash podcasts.